Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to episode 158 of the Marathon Running Podcast. This episode is titled A Para-Athlete's Journey to Marathon Running and Climbing. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational, and let the Marathon Running Podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond. Hey runners, and welcome to episode 157. My name is Letty. My name is Ryan. And we are currently on an airplane heading to Sweden, but this episode is pre-recorded, so don't let that confuse you. We're not recording it on the airplane. We should try that sometime, but it might be too much background noise. Recording a podcast on the airplane? At 26,000 feet. That would be kind of cool. We joined the Mile High Club, but that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> so who are we talking to today? So today we are talking to Rashish Durval, who is a para-athlete whom I met at the Boston Marathon in the Boston Commons while he was going for a walk. And he was super friendly and open to talk to me about his life journey. And it was very inspiring to see what he had gone through. Um, to give you a little background, he was born as a triple amputee. And he's running Boston. He's climbing Kilimanjaro. He's living a normal life. So, um, I would argue that he's living better than a normal life. He would probably agree with you. <laughs> I love those stories because it is inspirational and it puts life into perspective. So many people in, in life have less but still do more. And so it helps prevent me from creating excuses or anything else and just get out and enjoy everything and just be grateful. I like the great, I like being grateful. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I noticed about him when I was talking to him is his strong mind. He has a lot of willpower, a lot of strength. So I think we can just all learn from that. So what did you ask him? So yeah, I spoke with him in regards to his passion for endurance, where it came from, how he got into marathons, the adaptations he's made to training techniques, all that stuff that we never really think about. And then also we talked about the Boston Marathon. And guess what, Ryan? What? He even led a team of disabled runners to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. That's impressive. And then we also talked about his support system. And I asked him to offer some advice to people who face their own challenges. 
hopefully our listeners will find some inspiration in his story. Absolutely. So you want to hop into that? Yes. All right. So without any further ado, I'm now going to play my conversation with Rashish Durval. All right. So I'm on here with Rajesh Durval. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Letty. So happy I got a chance to meet you out there in Boston. I know that was a that was a wonderful uh, run in. So, all right. So for the listeners that don't know who you are yet, tell us who you are, where you're from and what you stand for. That's a good question. What I stand for. I think I'll just take that one first. I stand for freedom, like everybody else, trying to figure out how to navigate this crazy, intricate, convoluted world and to be the very best in whatever it is that we're doing. That's what I stand for. I'm from Florida, originally from New York, well, born in Virginia Beach. And my name is Rajesh Durbal. I did it all backwards on purpose to mess everybody up. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. Okay. And so when I ran into you was at the Boston Marathon, you're an amputee. And you told me that this happened. So maybe tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, yeah, I'm a congenital amputee, born with leg deformities at birth. And this was... 1977, I was born. So this is before all of that technology where you can take a view and see what's going on with the, uh, the little one baking in the oven. And they didn't even know that I was going to be uh, uh, have a be a be a, a amputee without limbs that were developed. So came out and they're like, "Oh, what's this about?" And I needed to get uh, some toes amputated and I needed to get a, a partially developed ankle amputated on both legs. And then they bone graft the fibulas when I was about a year and a half old, all that happened. And with that bone graft, I was in a half body cast for six months at a year and a half. So when I was about two years old, I got out of that half body cast. <clears throat> and I asked my mom about this. I was like, did they half body cast at the beginning she was like no you know they put the cast up to the thigh but you know as a child you're so active you just want to get get it off of you so it kept on sliding down so they ended up doing half body cast up to my waist well actually up to my chest so that i wouldn't like get out of it basically and so i was like that for about uh, six months so i can heal and uh and then my arm wasn't developed my right arm wasn't developed as well. So I just have just the thumb and uh, elbow, thank God, and just like a little mini wrist, which is perfect, because that's all you really need as a human being. You don't need anything else. Everything else is like uh, added bonus, I think. Yeah. So you were saying that this happened all before you could remember. When was the first time that you really remembered that you were different than the other kids? I would probably say when I went to nursery school, Because now you're mainstreamed out there and you're in, you're embracing the world. At home, you're pretty sheltered. When you're at home, you don't, you can't really compare and you don't really have any, uh, what's the word? You don't really have any, any depth to the world and can compare yourself to anybody because you're home all the time, basically. And you, and you're playing. And I played with myself a lot. My parents shielded me and sheltered me, um, but not in a sense of, trying to suppress me, but in a sense of, 
you need to be strong enough and able enough in order to be able to handle this. So we're going to develop you in your early ages. And then when we, when we put you into nursery school, that's when I really started being aware of the differences and how people looked at me and judged me and kids. And, you know, they're pointing like, what's that? Or, oh, you're, you're different. Or, oh, you're ugly. You know, and you don't, you don't know, but when you see everybody with two hands and you look at it yourself and you're like, I don't have two hands here. Then you start associating the two of being different as something bad. And that's, that's when I really started recognizing that when I was about uh, nursery school age. So what is that? Like, that's like four. So I was about four, probably yeah, about four. Okay. Yeah, but you were, did you um, have prosthetics at that time? Yeah, I got my first prosthetics right after when I got out of the body cast and I healed up. They gave me my first prosthetics about right after two years old. And uh, I still have them. They're somewhere around. They're very, very small. They're like <laughs> little baby legs, plastered legs. Uh, so I had, I had, I had prosthetic legs when I went to nursery school. Um, there weren't anything like what you see kids have nowadays with all this carbon fiber and great materials. It was just plaster and like a foam foot and a strap and a sock. That's basically almost like a wooden stick on the end of your foot. <laughs> it was horrible. So it's been really good to see the changes in technology and materials advance. It's given me back my entire life. You know, there's still a lot of limitations that we have, but it, it's a lot better than when I was younger. Yeah, absolutely. Because now, fast forward, you're a marathoner. So <laughs> tell us about how that all came about. Man. All right. We're going to go into some deep, dark corners then, I guess. That's okay, fine. Okay, let's go for it. Let's do it. Uh, okay, so the long version is is that I was never included in, into any kind of sports uh, growing up. This wasn't the inclusion era that we're in where we want to be fair and include everybody. So it was a school of hard knocks. You had to earn everything that you got. It wasn't just handed to you like how everybody gets handed something or they protest when something's not right. They'd rather protest and talk about problems and actually actually like earn it and do something. So for me, that's where I came from to, to build up, to become a marathoner. I had that mindset from a very young age. My parents were very, very driven on, look, you have to earn everything that you want. Nothing's going to be handed to you. No one's going to take care of you better than you. And if you're looking for somebody to take care of you better than you, you're going to be sadly mistaken. And you need to be able to handle yourself and be responsible for yourself when we're not here, period. That's it. My my bloodline is like that. My great ancestors are like that. My grandmother, grandfather, everyone, we all grew up like that. And we all were brought up like that and to live like that. And that's that's what I do every day. So from a young age, I always had to really prove myself to become or be included or become somebody of worthy value or else that, or else if I did not, I was considered the crippled, disabled boy that was helpless and that you go play in the corner and you can't play with the school kids. And, Oh, we can't allow you to play with the regular gym because you are a liability. You can't keep up with everybody. And that really put a fire in me to prove everybody wrong and to show people that I can do it and that it is possible and that your perception of me is not my limitation. 
my limitations are, what I believe in, what I can do. And it took a very long time to really build into that, to, 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 to be the marathoner and to be an Ironman triathlete and all the accomplishments and things I've done all over the world, um, which we'll probably get into it, but it took a long time to prove that. And there was a lot of down, down moments of going down these dark rabbit holes of life is not worth it. And that my life means nothing and that I'm better off dead and that uh, I'm going to stay in my little box all of those things that you've, you're fighting with, and we all fight through these through these these different phases of our lives as we're coming into ourselves, and then rejecting the fact of how powerful that I could actually be, because when you when you really realize how powerful and strong you are, and that being different is an, is really a, a worthy worthy responsibility that is also married to suffering and being judged it it really scares you because you're not part of anything anymore because you're so different like when i go out there and that's how we met right when i go out there people are like oh my god he has no legs and he's missing hand oh my god what's going what's wrong what what happened what happened I, i'd be a multi-gazillionaire of the amount of people i say what happened and they come up to me and they ask me how to tell them my whole life story so that that in itself separate you and it scares a lot of people because they don't want to be separated they don't want to be judged they don't want to be different they want to be included and i rejected that for a very long time in my life and always played within the boundaries so to say and not rock the boat and that that took a toll until i realized like look i'm, I'm gonna have to really step into the person that i'm supposed to be and stop trying to pretend that i'm somebody that I'm not and play in the confinements of everybody's rules made their made up rules. And why don't I define my own rules and play by my own rules and play my game at a higher level than comparing myself to everybody else's game. And that process took probably about five or six years. People think like, Oh, you could just Instagram post that thing. And then boom, you're there. You got instant credibility. No, it takes, it takes a long time to build that. And I realized that uh, in this journey towards the marathon and towards everything that I've ever had to accomplish. And the five years or six years it took was everybody not believing in what I can do. That's the long, kind of the long version. Uh, and it was a lot of crying. It was a lot of crying and a lot of like, man, I don't want to do this. This doesn't make any sense. Nobody's supporting me. Nobody's here. And just me saying, you know, Rajesh, I believe in you. You're going to show up. You're going to win. You're born to win. You're created to win. And no weapon formed against you can never prosper. And you're going to do this. And that's it. And I just, and I ran everybody over basically who wasn't in line with that. And I was like, that, that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's the whole gist of it. Three quarters of it. <laughs> no, but it's, it's beautiful because once you have, yourself out there so much you have no idea how many people you inspire not just that have the same you know challenges as you do but literally any kind of challenge when we see people that have worked through something that huge climbed a mountain that big yeah um yeah and it and it's also <laughs> what you said what just just to echo what you just said about 
the challenges of being so far out there. It is very difficult uh, because I have to solve five or ten, five to ten challenges even before I even try to run. You know, there's, there's, there's every step I take, and people don't understand this. Every step I take as an amputee, I already know what my next four steps are. <laughs> an average runner is just mindlessly just running like blah blah blah. blah. And because their their ankle, their bodies can can move and go with the terrain. For an amputee, any slight change of terrain on a blade is huge. Like we can get hurt. It, it severely throws a leg off a different way. It, you know, the, the blade you land wrong and it kicks the leg back or kicks it forward or kicks it. So you don't have all those dynamics. So I have to plan four steps in advance on every on every step that I take. And that that's that's the challenge that we that I face every single day. Like not even just in running. This is like every other avenue of life. What was it that um, you thought? Okay, out of every any sport I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna pick the ones that are like super physical. You know, you could have played golf or something. Yeah. Well, I was a bodybuilder just for the girls when I was younger because obviously all about the babes, <laughs> right? Girls like guys with hot bots. So I thought. But then you're so shallow and you're, you're a fragile ego. So I, I said, so when I was about 27 years old, I realized, look, you can get all the girls you want, but still at the end of the day, you're still shallow and you're still weak and you're still hiding behind this facade of whatever you can appear to be. But at the core of it, I was a dude that was like, oh, it's too hot outside. I'm not going to change. Oh, I don't feel well. I'm sleeping in. Oh, I'm going to avoid this. I'm going to avoid this conversation. I was that type of dude. So I had this nice, strong exterior appearance, but I was very, very shallow and weak, uh, uh, a fragile ego, which most men do. They have fragile egos. We just hide it really, really well. So I said, you know what? I am going to challenge myself. And that really, truly puts me back into becoming a student from zero. And I literally wrote out a list of what I wanted to do that scared the living shit out of me at 26 years old and i'm going to share with you guys like everybody says oh yeah he's so great and all this stuff but the hardest part for me on first on that list and this is going to blow this blows a lot of people's minds is is me going outside with short pants on that was the hardest thing that i could ever do on that list it scared the living shit out of me people to see my legs out there and to wear short sleeve shirts the hardest thing to show my body and to be out there and, 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 and receive that interaction with people and how they perceive me and the, and the monsters in your head of, oh, they're judging me. Oh, they're thinking about me. Oh, they're looking down on me. Oh, they think I'm a, a less of a person. And that was the hardest first step. And that's what really catapulted me to, to start doing all of these other things. It's all about mastering yourself, Letty. You master yourself like everything else is easy. And that was the hardest part for me. I had to literally learn how to love myself. Zero, no hot chicks, no alcohol, no bank account, no job, zero. You're starting fresh new slate. And that's what I did. That's how I did it. And it was just going outside, walking with short pants on at a corporate 5K in 2006, uh we had we, we were doing this corporate 5k and i had just moved to florida from new york so i couldn't i didn't know about the florida hot weathers because in new york you can hide it 
right? <laughs> it's so easy to hide. And you, and you stay in the environments where you can hide. And I was really good at that. So here I am going on this corporate 5K and I fought with myself for 45 minutes in the car to get out that car uh, to go out there with short pants on and almost didn't make it. But I said, you know what you're doing this thing and to hell with everybody else, you're going to go out there. And these are my coworkers. I didn't even know I had artificial legs because I wear long pants. I'm in, I'm in corporate America. So I can hide it really good. Yeah. So that, that was the beginning stages that really helped me transform that. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. I know that you say people, or you have these thoughts, those monstrous thoughts of what people perceive, but I think most of us are more kind of like in awe, like, wow, he, this guy is r walking around wearing running shoes in the park. And I know he looks like he's going to run the marathon. Like we're just kind of like, wow, who is this? It's not always like you think it is, you know, where people, why would we think the other way? But I, I can see how, how you would maybe think that because we're most of the time our own worst enemies when it comes to being critical and, and hard on ourselves, especially if you're a driven type A person. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm extremely, extremely hard on myself um, because I just know my potential. I know that God created me to be a force for good and that he's given me a huge responsibility in being in being like this. And that every time, like you said, like every time I'm out there and I'm out pushing myself, it inspires people because there's lots of people who can't who can't even make a phone call, a hard phone call, and com confront or have a debate about something. You know, are, are you attorney? You're attorney, right? I, I am. My homework, right? But you you understand, like uh, sometimes it's hard to do your job. It's hard to do your job, but then. For me, you know, I'm I'm not a first, English is not my first language. So for me, speaking in public was always hard until I had to start going to court. I'm an immigration attorney by trade. And while I was walking into court, I was getting nervous. And then I looked over to the person next to me who only speaks Spanish. And I said, stop BSing around. This is on me. I'm his voice now. So I better step up to the plate because otherwise I'm doing him a disjustice. And so that's how I got over it because this is not about me. I'm kind of the vehicle for him to have a better life or achieve his goal that he hired me for. So I think uh, it's kind of like you said, when we shift to perspective and see how simple or idiotic these things are that we worry about when in reality nobody cares and we just if we speak up we do a better job we sound better our english sounds better and all that and you know i think you can buy that for for anything in life really yeah exactly so yeah that's that's what i try to do is i try to really focus in on embracing that part that's very uncomfortable that's what i was trying to get at With, with the job and just making phone calls or doing hard things that people really kind of procrastinate on. And, and for me, running that marathon or just taking on challenges is me just embracing it and saying, look, I'm going to sort this out. This is what a man does. And uh, that, that's, that's the name of the game for me. Yeah. So then you kind of alluded to do it already that you always have to be four steps ahead of, of what's going on. Can you maybe talk about your, type of training that you do and running yeah. techniques or things that you have to use to accommodate your training plan in order to get ready for a marathon? Yeah. So a lot of the training is flat ground, asphalt, 
I can't run on trails, level surfaces, and I all augment the training, which is I will run a lot of intervals because running inclines and declines is hard on the prosthetics in the body because they don't have the stabilizer muscles that are there for the blades. And it's just lots of impact. And to absorb that impact in the prosthetic, it, it, it beats you up. I think it beats up everybody, but for us, we're trying to land and stabilize on a smaller surface. So that so my training is a lot more threshold, a lot more tempo, a lot more active recovery runs. And four steps ahead is, is I'm all, I know every crack on a road, I can't run in the dark. I'll run totally lit up like a Christmas tree. I want to see everything because even if I land imperfect on the blade, it it throws everything off. Like the your remote mechanic, I've actually pulled muscles because of that, <laughs> you know, and not not and I wasn't even running class. I'm just running normal. Uh, also, the training load different is I'm always thinking about recovery. How do I recover it? right after so it's ice bats all the time massages every two weeks standard stuff rolling out the muscles and that that's and that's basically how the training is structured you know to for a marathon you know and then i do a lots and lots of cross training to to help keep fitness and train other muscle groups for a marathon which is a lot of cycling and, and some running for uh not running uh swimming for like active recovery and mobility I, I can't even swim to begin with. <laughs> and with your challenges to swim, it's probably a whole different ballgame. Yeah, it it's very difficult. Everybody always asks me, how do you swim? And I always say, I just swim. You just go out there and you swim. Don't overthink it. They get out of your head. People are way too much into their heads all the time. And that's what really defeats you because your mind's a battlefield. And for me, I swim a lot. When I was training for my first Ironman, all right, let me just back that up. When I was training for my first triathlon, I had no coaching. I just went out and I did it. And that was that's going back to putting everything down on a list when I was 27 years old. And I said, look, I want to do everything that scares the shit out of me that I have to start from zero. And triathlon was one of them because I had to start from zero. I didn't know how to swim. I was lifting weights, not cardiovascular fit never swam distance, never swam anything. And I just, and I, and, and another thing for me also was, is that for me to take my prosthetic legs off in public and for people to see that was like a whole nother level of monsters and anxiety and fear. And I have to do that to swim. And I have to confront that fear. The deepest, darkest corners of your life, you have to, to confront them or else they, they will drive you into a corner. So I would hop the fence. I lived in an apartment complex and they had a community pool. I'll tell you a quick story. I would hop the fence after it closed at dark so that I could take my legs off and swim. That's how scared and paralyzed and fair that I was for people seeing me. And that I did that for months so that I could train for my first triathlon. And then finally I got to the point where I couldn't train in that pool anymore because we're getting close to the triathlon and It's an open water swim in the lake and it's 800 meters. And it, it wasn't, this was back in uh, 2007 or eight. So it was a little bit less uh, policed with safety. So they actually brought you out to the middle of the lake and then brought you back. Not like, not like a little like thing where they keep you close to the shore and you just do this. So it's very safe. 
which was good for me, uh, but it sucked at the same time. But it was it, it's dangerous, but it it's good because you really figure out how much you can really tolerate when you're all the way out there and you can't swim back, which is what happened to me. I went out thinking I'm the top dog with the with the fast guys, and I burnt myself out. And I couldn't even get back. I was just breaststroke stroking. I thought I was going to die out there in the lake, but I made it. So swimming has been very, very difficult for me. But I, I after that first triathlon and I finished it, I got a coach and she worked with me very hard. And I trained really hard in the pool. A lot of uh, hypoxy training, which is like simulation of high altitude training, where I would take a breath every five strokes, seven strokes, nine strokes. And we'll do those drills like two, 300, 400 meter sets <laughs> where you have to like, you're training your lung capacity and you're training how to be relaxed under stress and be controlled. So you're training all these variables. You're not just training and swimming. You're training how to be very calm under stress in water, which people don't train that. They don't train like that. People don't train like that at all. And just think of it like the Navy SEAL guys. They have to be very calm, under, under stress, underwater. If you ever watch any of their training uh, footages where they're, you know, you know, all that water stuff, water safety stuff that they got to do, that's that's how they train. And that's how I train in the pool. That's how I train in open water. And that's how I train every in every asset of life. Because you have to be controlled when you're under when you're under stress and you're you're out of and everything's out of control somebody has to be in control of something <laughs> so that that's how i train i think the fact that you had your challenges and then you just kind of took the bull by its horns or however they say that and take it to the next level and i think um when we get stuff too easy then sometimes we don't make the best the most out of it i feel like It's the same yeah. with when you have a full-time job. It's those athletes that have a full-time job that make the time for the marathon training that really thrive versus if you don't have anything to do all day, you might not even train half as hard. Exactly. That's totally 100% right. 100% right. You don't really start working until you have, like until your back is really against the wall and you got like 500 bucks in your account. <laughs> that's when you really start working. And I think everybody who's been handed them something uh, or they got success really fast, they don't really appreciate it. So let me ask you this. You were just talking about um, the uphill and downhill challenges with prosthetics, but there you were running the Boston Marathon. So tell us how did that go for you? Boston was a hard day. Mm -hmm. It's always a hard race. Uh, those legs that I was running on was about a month and a half old. So I, I didn't really get to really bake them out properly. No excuses aside. I really enjoyed that process of learning the equipment on race day. And the downhills and the uphills were really hard on the on the prosthetics and the fit because <clears throat> number one, it, the limb volume is changing constantly when you're running for amputees, we lose water weight, it shrinks. Cold weather, it shrinks. Maybe it's the food I eat. I'm inflamed, so the body's inflamed. It's it's so I have to constantly play around with this moving target of getting the right fit and support to run downhills properly, so that I'm not hurting myself and that I'm not smashing the tissue and my muscle inside of the leg. In Boston, I was smashing the tissue and the muscle inside of my leg at like mile twelve, 
<clears throat> and I was running great. I, I think I ran like a, I was running like eight minute, eight thirties around there and it was fine. And then once, once you start smashing the tissue and the muscle, then it just becomes like a, a claw for every step and it's downhill spiral after that. And that's what happened in Boston. Every downhill that I went to, it was very, very difficult. Some of it I walked, a lot of it I walked just to save the the tissue and the muscle inside my prosthetic, which I have like a little calf behind it in my leg that I bear weight on. And that muscle also fires and has blood and oxygen in there. So it, it's just hard to, to manage that, that sensation and run at the same time and all the trauma that's happening in running a marathon. And so that, that was my day. It was a little over four and a half hours. The first time I ran Boston, I ran it uh, like a 356, which I don't really care about the time. I really care about just getting the most out of myself on that day. And, but I say that because I, I know what my potential is and know what I'm capable of doing if the prosthetic fits good. Uh, but it's like a moving target, like anything else. Some days you're great, some days you're not good. So, but that was it. That that was my day. Wow. I enjoyed the run. I enjoyed. I enjoyed the cold weather. I enjoyed the rain. I enjoyed it all. It was hard. It was beautiful. It was miserable. I enjoyed it. The harder and more miserable it was, the more happier I was. That's that's uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, doing it when you don't want to do it. That that's true. Yeah, and um, you know you've done some other tough things such as. You've led a team of disabled climbers to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, when I read that, I was like, wow, <laughs> you really know how to live life because you basically pick the hardest things and you make them fun for yourself. So maybe tell us about um, how that came about and how that whole experience was. Okay. Yeah. That's a really good, that's a really good observation because I, I never wanted to hike a mountain. <laughs> I was training for another Ironman and I was at the peak of the peak of my fitness and I, I hurt myself running around the track, my knee, and I couldn't recover. It took me about eight months of trying to get to recover and I couldn't. So then I said, okay, you know what? I got to figure out something else to conquer. If I can't run anymore or if I'm while I'm down, I got to figure what am I going to do? Am I just going to like sit at home and watch TV and cry and complain? Like nobody cares. Nobody cares about that. And so I'm like, I got to find something else to conquer because men have to conquer. We're we're born to conquer. Okay? Men want to conquer something. And any man that says he doesn't want to conquer something, he's lying to you. He's not. He's not, He wants to conquer. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I, I, I pitched it to one of my good friends, which is a neurosurgeon for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's retired now, but at that, that time, uh, he was one of my good friends. I met in the Hawaii Ironman, Dr. Joe Maroon brother from another mother. And I was like, Hey, Dr. Joe, you what do you want? You want to hike a mountain? And he's like, that sounds kind of cool. And so we just started brainstorming on this whole idea. And he's like, I want to bring my daughter. It'd be a good bonding thing for him and his daughter. I'm like, all right, let's just do it. And then all of a sudden it turned into like, well, maybe it could be a medical study because he was on the board of all these other nutritional supplement companies, you know, GNC and all these medical pharmaceutical companies like he has his hands in a lot of things so he's like yeah maybe we can make this a medical study so then all of a sudden we had all this all this money coming in for medical study and we had this medical protocol thing that we got to follow and we were we were we were testing out beta which is uh, which is a nitric oxide uh beet extract supplement to increase the oxygen in your blood 
with beats. So we had this whole study going on <laughs> and we're like, well, let's just include all these amputees at the same time. Cause what more to really, really get a good study of people who are disabled that have to exert three or four times the amount of energy to propel themselves a single step. That's a great study for this, this, this beat elite uh, product that we were, we were doing for this, for this medical, this medical study that we were doing for this company. So that's how I put together this whole team of amputees that I knew uh, in South Africa. A lot of them came from because I had worked a lot in South Africa, doing a lot of speaking and touring and humanitarian things with with my foundation, Live Free. And that's how I had all those connections. So I just brought them all. And that's how that all, whole thing came about. But honestly, I didn't really want to hike the mountain. I just, I just was looking for another conquest to conquer. Yeah. So, and it was, and it all went back to becoming a student from ground zero again. So I always like wipe the slate clean every year. And I think about, okay, how, how I need to pick something that's going to force me to gather all new skills, all new networks of people. And then that's the whole process of conquering. I like, I like that. So that, that was one thing that I, that's, that was one thing that I did that year. And everything went well with hiking the mountain for everyone involved in the study. No, it, no, it was all it was like a, it was like a reality TV show. <laughs> it was it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. One guy, he got sick. He had a uh, inflammation of the lungs. I forget the name of it, pulmonary edema or something like that. And he was coughing and coughing. He had to go down like a third day in high camp. And I got sick on the fourth day. So it's seven day hike, and you're, you're acclimating for about. Uh, six, five to six days. It depends on the team and how we're all doing. So it was a seven day total duration for us. And I got sick on day three, day four. And we were in high, we were probably about, um, man, I'm trying to think. We were in high camp, second camp. So we we're close to about uh, 15,000 feet or close to it, high up. And it's just so bad, the, the elements out there. I got sick. I didn't tell anybody because they would have pulled me off and I just hid in my tent with popping Tylenol. Another guy, his leg was so inflamed, he couldn't even walk. So he was on crutches. So we had we had a whole big, crazy reality TV show going on, but it was good. We had a film crew out there. We were recording as much as we, we could record and it was good content. Where can we find that content? Uh, it's on my YouTube channel. Uh, it's not uh, Rajesh Durbal. If you just Google Rajesh Durbal, you'll see my YouTube channel. And uh, I have a lot that I haven't published, posted, just sitting in hard drives, B-roll that's not edited. But the actual documentary that we produce is on, is on the YouTube channel. It's called Beyond Boundaries. Okay. And you, you, have a, you, found, you started a foundation, um, the Live Free Foundation. So maybe you tell our listeners what that is. Yeah, the, the, that was born out of suffering. I was crying, praying to God one day, walking on, running on makeshift walking legs. And, and I was like, man, God, I just want to live free from all this pain, all these chains that keep on holding me back and binding me up inside. And that that's how that was born, Live Free Foundation. And it was geared to help other amputees and people that are suffering and struggling in life to break the chains of whatever they're struggling with, whether it be depression, anxiety, addiction, low self-esteem, uh, disability, prosthetics, uh, durable medical equipment, things like that, and uh, and hunger, starving people, 
orphanage kids that don't have people to love on them. Uh, that's what our mission was. That's what our cause is. And that's what we did. And that's, that's what I started because as a result of my own need that I wanted to, to meet. And then I saw the need in so many people when I went out there and raced because I could see past all of the, I could see past people's eyes and look into their souls and really see that they were struggling and they don't have to say anything, but I can just see it. So I was like, I got to do something about this. And, uh, and that's how I, that's why we started that. That's awesome. Okay. So let me ask you what advice you would give to individuals that face their own physical challenges um, or, you know, who are just trying to overcome something. How, what would you tell them how to stay with it? How to handle it? Man, it, it, it really falls down to individual, individual person and what they're really struggling with. But I think number, the, the good generic way of looking at it is keep really good strong, courageous, determined, ambitious people around you, hands down. That is the most important thing you can ever do uh, because you are who your friends are. And we are associated with people who enable us in our crutches. And if you're going to have accountability partners, make sure they're not yes people. I don't want yes people in my my squad. And that's the big shift that I made is I want people who are not going to yes me to death. <laughs> they just tell me straight up how it how how what what I'm doing wrong and give me the, the feedback that I need. And they're courageous because if you have people who have a lot of courage around you, guess what's gonna happen? You're not gonna be the weakest person out there in the group. They won't even allow you to be a part of the group. You're going to, by, de- by default, rise up and level up your game because all these people have a lot of courage and they're acting with bravery and they're out there forging ahead. They're like, boom, we got this, we got this. You know, think of it like a, a, a highly functioning sports team, right? Those are the top tier guys. They're all like, we could do this shit. They don't, the weakest guy on the, link, the pole, he's sitting on the bench. It's the it's the it's the it's the guys who are out there, the killers that are out there. So if you have those types of people on your on your side, you're going to overcome challenges. You're going to do it. But to attract those people, you have to first start working on yourself, which is the second thing. Write down everything you're scared of, fearful of, nitty gritty. Look, really look into it. People don't really pay attention to this stuff because we're moving so fast, and we're just like, and we make these excuses. But say, look, you know what? I'm flat broke. If I lost my job, how much can I really survive on this? That's that's the conversation I had when I was in IT and I couldn't do it anymore. I said, okay, I have uh, $250,000 in my 401k and I have maybe $20,000, $30,000 in liquidity and savings. Okay, just for example, it's kind of around there. But I said, if I lost my job, okay, I'm burning through my savings in under a year. Okay, now I'm tapping into my 401k. So I got real with it. Have that real conversation with yourself and say, look, I'm broke. And I have all these slots of time that I'm wasting my time and that I'm not monetizing or I'm not making a new contact. And once you're really honest and you can really see it for what it is, now you can really start working on it. And that's that's what I did to help overcome those challenges. And then you got to go to war with yourself because it will be a battle. It will be a war. It will be... Because you, you're you not going to want to do it. 
because you're not going to feel like doing it because it's going to be damn hard. And nobody's going to be there to say, come on, get up. You can do this. You know, you can lose those 20 pounds. You can overcome that fear. You can quit your job. Hey, you don't have to live paycheck. Well, I'm going to make sure you become a millionaire. I'm going to make sure that you're going to become this world-renowned athlete and hike this mountain. I'm going to make sure you do that. Nobody's nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to do that for you. So you have to go to war with yourself. Those are the three main things. And, and that's 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 the whole cycle in a real quick nutshell. That That's what I would tell people. I love it. I love it. And I know that you'll inspire a lot of us and give us that nudge that we don't want to get sometimes. And so that's really good. Thank you so much. You've done so much. And for the listeners that are not following you on the socials and don't know about your YouTube channel, can you tell us how they can find you everywhere? Just type in Rajesh Durbal, R-A-J-E-S-H-D-U-R-B-A-L, and you'll pull up all my Instagrams, Rajesh Durbal, TikTok, Rajesh Durbal, YouTube, I think it's Rajesh Durbal. Yeah, but just put in YouTube, Rajesh Durbal, you'll see the channel and all the hundreds and thousands of videos on there of all the different stuff. And that's how you can find me. Send me a message, live-free.net, rajeshdurbal.com, LinkedIn, Rajesh Durbal. It's all over the place. Perfect. Thank you so much for talking with me. Yes, Lenny. Thank you so much for setting this up. And I'm so happy that I got a chance to meet you. Thanks, Rush, so much for taking the time out of your busy day to speak with me. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot from you, and I hope that we will be in touch and see each other again next year in Boston. I think it's amazing that he's climbing, climbing Kilimanjaro. I mean, it's hard enough for just normal gifted people with all their limbs to do it, let alone somebody that's a triple LBT. Absolutely, Ryan. I couldn't agree more. So we're going to sign off now since we're pre-recording this and stay tuned for next week. Next week, we're going to have a conversation with the run coach, Chris Knighton, about things you can do to improve your running form. So stay tuned for that. And with that, have a good week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.